This is The Talent Show, a podcast by Talent Canada, the national magazine for workplace leaders published by Annex Business Media. You've tuned in to hear conversations with Canadian experts on the latest in workplace leadership and human resource practices. Thank you for tuning in. At RBC Insurance, we believe that employers play a central role in supporting the health and wellness of Canadians. We're here to help. Through RBC Insurance Group Benefit Solutions, business owners and their employees have access to a range of flexible solutions, including a state-of-the-art wellness program, virtual health care, life, disability, health, and dental insurance, and more. Visit rbcinsurance.com group benefits to discover how group benefit solutions can make a difference for your business. Hello, and welcome to Talent Canada's latest episode of The Talent Show. Talent Canada is a national media brand for employers and is dedicated to driving business through investment in people. I'm your host, Marcel Vanderweer. I'm joined today by Julie Godry, Head of Group Benefits at RBC Insurance. Julie, thanks so much for joining me. Julie and I will be discussing how organizations can and should adapt their benefits programming as a result of young workers' increased expectations. There's no question the COVID-19 pandemic has dramatically increased individual needs around mental health. Younger workers are prioritizing their health and wellness, which in turn places higher expectations on employer benefits. And with the surge of Canadians leaving their jobs as a result of dissatisfaction in recent months, How can employers ensure their benefits plans are evolving to be competitive in a hot job market? Julie, this is a very timely topic. I understand RBC Insurance recently polled more than 1,000 Canadians on this issue. I'm looking forward to unpacking those results with you here today. So let's dive in, shall we? Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Marcel. Excellent. Julie, from your experience, how can employers best keep up with the changing needs of a younger workforce? Yeah, I think firstly, it's important to recognize there's just going to be a variety of needs uh, and wants amongst your workforce, right? And that's going to vary by maybe the age of your employees, the industry you're in, where you live, other demographics, right? So I think we we need to firstly understand that we have a diverse workforce. And so if we're going to try and keep up with um, meeting the needs of that group, and then how they evolve over time, uh, it's, it's not an easy thing. And we need to think about how do we make programs and services available that can address the needs of a a very diverse group. So, you know, looking at the workforce today, yeah, the younger demographics already a really big proportion of the workforce. We know that, and it's likely going to grow, but us Gen Xers and and the boomers, right? They're not, uh, they're not out of the workforce yet. Um, And so we need to, an employer needs to be thinking about their needs as well. So with all of that in mind, right? A one size fits all approach likely isn't going to work, right? In any environment, if you're truly seeking to meet the needs of your all your employee groups, uh, one size fits all is likely going to be a challenge to do that. So, you know, the best thing an employer can do is really have a variety um, of support services available for their employees and, and things that they can pick and choose from, sort of to customize uh, what they need based on their unique needs, their desires. 
Uh, and so that might mean having a benefits plan that allows for choice in your coverage, or it might mean that when you when you seek to deliver health and wellness services, that you have programs that can be delivered in a variety of ways, whether that's face-to-face, in-person, uh, uh, telephonic, or online. So it's something to keep in mind that we need to have options and we can meet our employees where they are because that might vary significantly employee to employee. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate that uh, comment, Julie. Just in parsing the results of your survey, it is interesting to see that a majority of respondents now consider a position with a full benefits plan to be of more value than a job that might pay more but does not come with benefits. In your mind, what specific elements of a benefits plan are of most value uh, specifically in this instance? Yeah, our, our survey indicated, right, that the majority of Canadians, so that the number was 68%, um, said that they would take a job with good benefits over another job that pays more but doesn't have a benefit plan. Uh, you know, that might surprise some people, but it, it has been an important factor in, in um, attraction and, and retention of employees for quite some time. And we know that Canadian employees are prioritizing um, their workplace benefits uh, in this competitive job market. So, you know, playing back to what we just discussed around, okay, so what, what does that mean as an employer? What are you going to do if benefits are really important and you are attracting a variety of, of employees from all different uh, demographics? then it likely means that you have to have both the traditional elements of benefits covered, right? They, they wanna know that if they need a prescription drug, it's covered. If they wanna see the dentist, they have coverage. If, if they end up uh, so unwell that they need to take time off from work, that they've got that important disability insurance there. But they're also looking for other things, other unique services that maybe traditionally weren't considered benefits. Um, and they wanna be able to, to pick and choose from those. And so it goes back to the comments I made earlier around uh, choice and flexibility and having a variety of things available that employees can pick from. And, and, and then keeping in mind that what defines benefits today, right? It's a, it's a pretty wide definition. People consider their benefits is not just like what I mentioned, the insurance coverage, but what other services are there to support their health and well-being. What kind of workplace policies do you have around flexible work arrangements, maybe, or, uh, you know, forums that create an open, inclusive and, and respectful workplace? So there, there's, a, you know, what somebody defines as their benefits and what they're looking for uh, is probably a wider definition than it once was. Julie, you mentioned some additional measures coming in uh, through the pandemic in terms of benefits plans. Can you give an example or two of what might be new options employees can can kind of ask for? Yeah, um, you know, benefits haven't changed that much <laughs> over the over the years. But if, if anything's happened over the last uh, year or two, we've seen insurers uh, and employers who partner with them say, okay, what else can I do? What, what different things can I make available? Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this topic at length, but um, what, where you're seeing a lot of movement is around uh, mental health support. Um, specifically, uh, just given the challenges we're all, we've all been facing. And then the other big shift has been around how is the, how are those services delivered? Um, you know, with a big proportion of the workforce working from home as we are today, um, you know, expecting somebody to at leave, you know, to get support on site in the office or to go face to face to seek care in a traditional way. Um, people are looking for, for digitally delivered solutions, right? Uh, are looking for virtual platforms to support them. So that's, that's where you've seen a lot of the shift over the last little while. 
great. Thank you for that. Uh, to build on that, um, are current benefits offerings meeting the needs of today's workforce, especially given COVID-19? And how can employers shift their offerings according to the needs of their staff? What's the best practice there? Yeah, it's, you know, it's satisfaction with benefits is one of those um, uh, things that has been monitored in a lot of different surveys and over a number of years. And, you know, if you look at all the different sources out there, uh, you know, you might see it's either been relatively flat, you know, the satisfaction with your group benefits or even declining um, in some years. But but why? Like I, I just mentioned before, right? Benefits haven't changed all that much traditionally, but what has changed is our expectations uh, as an employee. And so perhaps what we expect from our employer and the benefits they provide has grown, has changed. And so if benefits and the services available don't sort of keep pace with those expectations, then of course we might see satisfaction decline. And um, in our survey, we did, we did see that, right? That about four in 10 or so of working Canadians said that their plan hasn't met their needs in the past year. Um, it's a pretty big number. Um, uh, and, and that sentiment was strongest amongst younger Canadians. So the workforce between 18 and 35, it was closer to half of those employees saying that it hasn't met their needs over the last little while. So, you know, it, it's important, like we already said, um, it's, first you need to understand what people need, what people want. Uh, and there's a ways that you can do that, right? It might be a survey of employees. It may just be, uh, you know, discussing with your, your benefits consultant on sort of the latest trends and, and expectations out there in market. Um, and so first it's thinking about, you know, what do people need? What do people want? Then taking stock of what you already have. A lot of employers, um, you know, make a ton of great support available, but their employees just aren't even aware of what's there. Uh, and so communicating, um, what's available and helping build awareness and utilization amongst your employees. And then, and then deciding as an employer, okay, do I have what I need or do I need to maybe make additional investments in a new service? Or maybe I can just reallocate my investment if, if I don't have the, uh, the luxury of increasing my benefit spend. Um, maybe I can say, okay, how am I investing? Can I, can I bring more support in one area of our plan and reduce it in another area where perhaps it, we're not getting a lot of value. So lots of considerations for employers. Um, and, and as I mentioned, I really don't think the root issue is that benefits themselves aren't supporting Canadians, but rather it's what we expect from our benefit plan and from the employers that provide it that has changed. Mm -hmm. Really good point. Julie, I want to move into some of the specific issues that have arisen uh, as a result of COVID-19. And so given the current landscape of pandemic restrictions and vaccine mandates, what are current considerations for plan sponsors around employee well-being and mental health? Yeah, you know, and a lot has changed, right, uh, since maybe March 2020 and, uh, the, you know, the a pandemic being declared and, and all of the restrictions and, and public health measures that have come with that. And so I'd suggest that while a lot has changed, a, a lot has somewhat stayed the same as well. Um, you know, employers have historically already been focused on employee and uh, health and well-being, and, and mental health has been a really important factor uh, for many years, long before March 2020 came along. But what we've seen is the issues have been exacerbated, right? We know that um, on top of what we were already dealing with as a working population, all of a sudden uh, we have new stressors, new challenges before us um, that are 
impacting the collective mental health of our working population. And we're seeing that play out in some of our claims experience and, and survey results. You know, people are, you know, in the early days and maybe still a legitimate fear of getting sick themselves or their loved ones or the financial uncertainty, we saw that play out a lot over the last little while with the economic disruption, or one of the biggest factors, of course, is the social isolation that's, that's, um, that's been a result of a lot of those public health restrictions. And those are big stressors that have negatively impacted the mental health of Canadians. And so, you know, it's, it's long been a focus, but it's an even bigger focus uh, than it is now. I think some of the other important considerations, one, and, and I touched on this already, but the public health restrictions have also caused some disruption in healthcare itself, right? So it's created some new obstacles to, in access to care for what some might, some things might be deemed non-urgent or, or non-essential care, right? Really important to some people, but maybe not at the top of the list during a pandemic. And so uh, there's barriers in access to care, perhaps longer wait times or inability to even see anybody at all. And so, you know, that in itself can create some downstream impacts on, on employee health both mental health as they're worried about that, but physical health as well. Maybe there's a delay in diagnosis or uh, an issue, underlying issue left untreated that later will be more impactful and, and impact people's health. So something to keep in mind. And I think the last piece too is, and highlighted I guess by the fact that we're doing this uh, both from our, our home offices is the fact that a big proportion of the workforce is still working from home. And there's a lot of talk right now about return to work, right? And what does that return to premise mean? Um, you know, whether you're returning full-time or under a hybrid solution, um, whatever it might be. So that in and of itself creates some unique challenges for employees uh, that, you know, some new fears as they get ready to re-enter the office, but also for employers, all of a sudden managing a workforce where some of your employees are at home, some are at work. And what does that mean for the way in which you can support them? So a lot of important factors that are maybe, you know, its roots maybe uh, existed long before the pandemic was declared, but they've become increasingly important over the last 18 months. This next question is specifically from an insurance perspective. Um, what mental health trends are you seeing among younger employees and how can benefits programs be reshaped to address these needs? I know we've been talking about this, but just looking mm -hmm. for a bit more specific. Yeah, I think that, like you said, we've been talking about it and maybe a good legacy that will come out of this is that we all are talking more openly about mental health because we're all facing a, a, a similar stress, right? We're all in this together, if you will, uh, facing these challenges together. And so maybe perhaps a, a greater openness to discussing how that's, how that's impacting our mental health and hopefully a greater willingness for people to, to put up their hand and ask for, for help. But we are seeing it um, play out from an insurance perspective in a few different ways. So uh, one, we talked about the survey at the beginning. I mean, and we've asked people, as have other uh, surveys out there, um, many have asked around what has been uh, the impact to your mental health over this last little while. And we've seen that younger workers, those aged you know, 18 to 35, uh, are more likely to rate their mental health as poor or bad you know, compared to older workers. So you know, overall, we're all being impacted by the issues before us, but it seems to be having a greater impact on the younger workforce. And, and this aligns with what we're seeing in some of our claims results. So, you know, if we look at 
the number of claims or the number of claimants, so the number of people making claims for mental health related uh, drugs or paramedical practitioners, so to see a psychologist or a social worker, for example, that, that pace of change, it's increasing year over year faster in that mental health category than it is for all other diagnostic categories. We're seeing a faster, a bigger and faster growth in the demand for mental health support. And that growth is even faster, again, if we look at it split by age by that younger workforce. If we look at our disability claims, so now you know people that are unwell enough that they can't work, in 2021, it's still roughly about a third of long-term disability claims are related to mental health and it hasn't materially changed over previous years on an overall basis. But if we look at that younger workforce, so for those under 35, it was already higher to begin with, about 40% of their claims in 2019 were related to mental health. That went up to 45% in 2020. And as we look at the results we have before us year to date 2021, it's approaching 50. So we're seeing again, it play out not just in surveys and people telling the self-reported levels of mental health, but we're seeing those impacts play out on um, benefits claims experience as well. Julie, I'm, I might be pushing you here, but in terms of the younger workforce, well, why do you think that that is in terms of the mental health claims? Is it just, a, it's easier to talk about? Well, there's so many theories on that one um, and, and some interesting uh, discussions if we brought in you know, experts from all different fields, right? It, I wish I could answer that. I, I don't know is the short way of answering that. Uh, what I've heard, you know, certainly is there's been discussion around, is it just like you said, a, a, a difference in that demographic in terms of a willingness to say that they're struggling and need help. So they, they may be struggling just the same as others, but they're more willing to put themselves out there and say, hey, I, I need help. That could be one issue. Or are they legitimately more impacted, right? What is it about that demographic perhaps? And um, and the challenges they've faced over their lifetime that, that caused them to receive these challenges before them differently than perhaps, uh, you know, the generation up before them. And so I wish I knew the answer because we could certainly have a more meaningful response to support them if we did. But um, what we do know is it's there, regardless of the why. And so it's something that employers and group benefits carriers alike need to be aware of and taking action on uh, to support them. Julie, you've touched on virtual care in a previous response. I'm curious if you can expand on how technology is reshaping mental health care and potentially improving outcomes. Yeah, I, you know, think about how technology has impacted everything, right? And the way we the way we get our goods and services, right? Like it's it's certainly not unique to mental health care delivery. Um, it's it's everywhere, right? And and it's only accelerated over the last eighteen months because all of a sudden some businesses and service providers that weren't even really in online or, or virtual delivery had to pivot to a new way of delivering their services because there was no other way to reach their consumers. Um, and so, you know, early in 2020, you saw a quick shift in the group benefit space around all kinds of virtual services being provided that historically had only been delivered face to face, right? Emergency dental consultations done uh, over, over video, you name it, there's like all, all kinds of new services that came up and mental health care was one of those areas that was already sort of ahead of the curve in terms of leveraging technology to deliver their services, you know. If you've ever leaned on your employee assistance program before, 
sure, they would have offered you an appointment for an in-person visit. But, you know, for, for years, EAP providers have also been making telephonic counseling and maybe even video counseling available. So sort of this, this category of care, I think, was already a bit ahead of the curve in terms of leveraging technology to deliver support. But it's moved even faster now. And, and what it does really is, you know, it just eliminates some of the obstacles we faced in getting mental health support in the past. So if you think about kind of the, the old way of, of, of getting support, uh, it was slow, it was in person, you needed to wait and wait a really long time to see somebody that you needed to see. And maybe once you finally saw them, you realized that your group benefits coverage didn't provide a whole lot of support and you might not get to see them as much as you'd like to um, if you're relying on your group benefits for that support. So the newer way now is you've, you've got much faster access, maybe even on demand, right? When you need it, middle of the night, you're facing a challenge and you need to lean on somebody. There's text and chat supports available and, and um, you know, different ways of accessing care uh, beyond sort of the traditional approach. So, so the, the biggest thing I think how technology helps is that it, it, it improves that delivery. It improves that access and reduces obstacles um, to accessing that care more than anything. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, whether that means it's just new ways of connecting with a psychologist or a social worker, maybe it's, a, it's, it's, it's just video, something as simple as that, or maybe it's even where we've gone even further. We see um, a whole bunch of platforms pulling, uh, coming up around self-directed, internet-delivered, uh, therapist-guided, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? These are platforms that people can work through at their own pace and then lean on support as needed. And so technology just ultimately has made the services more available um, and reduced some of the obstacles to care. So it's, it's a great outcome. I completely agree. I think it's one of the silver linings of the COVID-19 pandemic, mm -hmm. just the acceleration of that trend. And yeah, Agreed. hopefully it benefits us all for years to come. Uh, Julie, just a couple more questions for you. What are the current impacts you are seeing on short and long-term disability programs and how is this affecting benefits coverage? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier around sort of the percentage of claims attributable to mental health and, 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 and so I think I've covered that off. But if we think about like the volume of claims we're seeing, right? Like, let's take a look at that. It's, it's interesting. It, it was a bit counterintuitive to what we all expected in early 2020 when the pandemic was declared. Um, so, so March 2020 hits, we all, you know, all the carriers sat around and went, uh-oh, what's coming? Um, and I think we expected a spike in claims, probably COVID-19 related, that we'd see, uh, you know, based on what we were hearing, right, we, we worried that we might see a tremendous amount of COVID-19 specific claims. And while everybody saw a blip, and, and certainly, you know, we, we've seen that in, in play out in a lot of different um, uh, healthcare uh, reports, most people, gratefully, um, recover uh, within uh, you know a couple of weeks, and it's it's a small percentage of those impacted that have severe enough outcomes to end up on disability. And so, while we're seeing it, it wasn't as big as we initially perhaps feared. The conversation quickly switched, though, um, to what was going to come instead. So the COVID-related impacts, so not COVID-specific, but the mental health-related claims. And very early in 2020, you know, spring of 2020, we were all talking about what's likely to come. And, you know, you, you've heard different terms used to describe it now, shadow pandemic or uh, other terms that have, have been used to describe the mental health related uh, claims that will follow as a result of everything that we've been experiencing. And so we all sort of braced ourselves for a big increase in those claims. 
and it didn't come right away. Um, and why is that, right? I mean, there's been lots of speculation as to why we actually saw less disability claims in 2020 than we did in 2019, right? Was it the ability to work from home and therefore maybe you weren't, you know, you were unwell enough that you couldn't physically get to the office, but if all you had to do was log on, maybe, maybe you could pull it off, right? Maybe that was it. Who knows? Maybe there's all kinds of factors that might have contributed to reduced claims in 2020. But we expected that surge to come and specifically around mental health, and it didn't happen right away. We started to see claims kind of come up again um, in late 2020. And it's just in 2021 now approaching sort of pre-pandemic levels. So the question now is, is that it? Or is that expectation of surge of, of claims that we all expected just arriving later and maybe the duration of the public health restrictions and the duration of the pandemic itself is what's pushed it out, right? In March, 2020, I don't think any of us would have thought that 18 months later, we were still sitting where we are and yet here we are. And so, you know, maybe what we expected to transpire over the summer of 2020 is just getting going now. And so it's something that um, we're all watching closely uh, and preparing for and not just carriers, but employers themselves. They know that this is happening for their employees as well. And so, you know, what can they do about it? Well, you know, we can certainly just watch closely and wait and see what happens. But in an ideal world, now's a great time if it hasn't already been done to step back and look and say, how am I supporting my employees? What can I do potentially to prevent them from being so unwell that they go off on work? And how can I support them while they're still actively working? and get them the help that they need uh, so that they're able to remain productive uh, at work and, and continue to work through whatever challenges they're facing. Well, that's really interesting, uh, Julie. I, I wanna conclude with uh, just a question on recruitment and retention. Off the top, we started by, by talking about uh, em employees actually viewing jobs with benefits plans as you know of higher value than those without, uh, but, but with higher pay. So. When it comes to benefits and recruitment and retention, what would be your top three tips for employers to consider? Yeah, it certainly is a hot job market, right? Like you mentioned, whether it's because there's just a bunch of industries that are short staffed and they're seeking to hire. So employees just have options of where they want to work. Um, or I think, you know, you sort of touched on it. A lot of people's lives have been impacted such that they're revisiting kind of what do they want out of their work experience, right? It's a time of reflection for a lot of people in terms of thinking about what kind of employer do they want to work for um, and what kind of industry do they want to be in. And so it's absolutely critical that employers are thinking about how they attract and retain uh, good talent. And, and as you mentioned at the top of this discussion, benefits does play into that. So I, I think that, you know, if I were going to give a few tips, I guess, I'll, I'll lean a bit on some themes that were there long before 2020, but again, uh, somewhat just even more important now. We've known for a long time that what motivates an employer, uh, an employee to want to work for you as an employer um, and stay working for you and work hard and be productive while they're there. One of the biggest drivers of that has been feeling like your employer cares about you, right? So, that, that notion of my employee, my employer cares about my health and well-being and wants me to be happy and productive at work. And they're do and, and they've shown me that by all these things that they've done. That's a huge driver of employee engagement. And that certainly has not changed. And so I, I think overall, um, you know, an employer needs to say look at their workplace policies, 
look at their benefits and say, okay, if I look at these collectively, does it tell my employees that I care about them? Does it actually provide the support that they need? Have I created a culture of work that supports employee health and well-being, creates a respectful and inclusive workplace, right? These are the kinds of employers that people want to work for today. They already did before, but after a period of reflection and having options before you, employees are likely going to pick a place that cares about them. And so I think that it's time, it's a time of reflection for employers as well and say, hey, have, do I have everything I need in place to support my employees? So, so, you know, once that's done, right, I think the next step is take a look at what I already have. I mentioned earlier that employees just sometimes aren't aware of all the great things available to them. And that's, that's a challenge in the group benefit space for, for decades. Um, and so one of the first things and pieces of advice that I give to employers is take stock of what you've got already and make a plan to increase awareness about those services and to encourage their use. So it's really a communication and marketing effort more than anything, right? Thinking creatively about how do I get my employees to know that stuff is there to support them in advance and then when they need it. So it's really, it's really an awareness exercise. And then the last piece of advice would be revisiting, I guess, what you could do differently. So if after you've looked at all that you have and considered whether it supports the you know, employee health and well-being and you've done all you can to promote it and make sure your employees know about it, taking a look at what else you could do. Um, and that might mean, do you have enough mental health coverage? You know, a lot of employers have taken this opportunity to increase the limits of coverage available to an employee in a given year. Or back to what we talked about earlier, do you have different ways to support your employees beyond the traditional just coverage to see a psychologist, right? Do you have other support programs, you know, webinars for your employers, uh, information sessions for employees, ICBT platforms, video counseling, whatever it might be. Taking, taking a look at what you have, seeing if you can make a few changes to better support your employees and then working hard to make sure they know about it so that they use it when they need it and they feel supported when they're working for you. Thank you so much, Julie, for sharing your time today to discuss the future of benefits for young workers. That was truly illuminating. I hope that any managers and senior leaders listening are able to identify some key takeaways that they can put into action at their workplaces. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to The Talent Show, the podcast by Talent Canada. To hear more of our episodes or to find the latest workplace headlines from across the country, visit talentcanada.ca.